Well, thanks, JP. It's always a delight to be here and tremendous to see uh, so many of you first uh, Sunday of the new year uh, gathering together for worship. Absolutely great. We are going to do three uh, helicopter addresses from the book of Revelation today, three different texts which give us uh, uh, a way into looking at some of the uh, uh, context of uh, wider teaching of Revelation. Uh, I don't know what your attitude to Revelation is. For many people, it's a, a book of great fantasy. You don't know what to make of it. Fascination. Uh, you may even get hooked on it, addicted to it, with all sorts of unhealthy ideas. For some, it's a, a book that engenders fear. But it is the Word of God which spoke to the early church and has spoken to every generation since. And uh, particularly this afternoon and this evening, I think, we will look at a very realistic picture of the world in which we live and the role of Christ in it. Now, this morning, to begin with, we're looking at how to be a Nike Christian. Uh, I understand that there are other brands of footwear available, uh, but nonetheless, uh, you'll see why we're dealing with the Nike brand this morning. Uh, we're going to read from the letter to the church at Laodicea, uh, chapter 3 of Revelation, verse 14. It'll come up on the screen. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I have need of nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, what's your reaction when you hear that familiar letter? If you don't know much about the book of Revelation, you might know that image of Christ standing at the door and knocking at least. And if you know a little bit more, you might well know that the letter to the church at Galatians, where, uh, to, to Laodicea, where they are neither hot nor cold, is often used as a beat-up passage to tell the church off for being nominal rather than enthusiastic. And maybe as you heard that read again this morning, you thought, 
oh no, what a way to start the new year. <laughs> I've come to be encouraged and picked up and I'm just about to be beaten up all over again. Uh, there are a fair number of Christian masochists who come to our churches who delight in nothing more than on a Sunday morning being told how rotten they were and how much they need to improve. Uh, but there are plenty more who actually want comfort and shelter. I chose this particular reading for one verse that gives us uh, a, a keyhole to look at the wider picture. Uh, verse 21 says this, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. That verse summarizes a major theme in the book of Revelation. It is about the one who is victorious, the one who conquers, the one who is an overcomer, and the church that's victorious, and the church which overcomes. The word in the original Greek is the word Nike. It was the goddess of victory in the ancient world. A couple of months ago, I was able to visit Ephesus again, and there took a picture of a carving of the goddess Nike with a recognized symbol of the whoosh that Nike sportswear eventually adopted. The found company founded in 1968 wasn't originally called Nike. The owners weren't terribly keen on adopting the word that had been recommended to them by their sales team. But once they did it, it uh, was a great brand, spoke of victory, of overcoming competition. And the slogan that went with it was just do it. And we have a very strong view of, wow, we'd love to be Nike Christians, conquering like that all the time. But actually what the book of Revelation is telling us is something a little different. <laughs> and we need to situate the word in the sweep of Revelation rather than thinking that Nike is God's revelation to us today. The word is used 15 times in the book of Revelation. So it's not a minor theme. That's 15 times it's used of what we ought to be like as Christians. It's used negatively twice of the opposition, more of which this afternoon or this evening, that they, the opposition, will temporarily get the victory, but ultimately will be defeated. But most of the time, what Revelation is encouraging us to be is victorious Christians. Now, what's your image of a victorious Christian? Who do you look up to and think, wow, if only I were like them? They've got it. Uh, so perhaps they are powerful in the exercise of charismatic gifts. Perhaps they always have the right word of knowledge or prophecy to speak. They're effective witnesses so that when they speak of Jesus, people get converted. They don't seem to have any problem with temptation or sin, but be able to glide over the top of it somehow, resisting it. Uh, and you think, that's the victorious Christian. Well, is it? <laughs> Look at how John uses this word 
in this letter. We're going to ask some very basic questions about it. If you know anything about the book of Revelation, you probably know it begins with these letters to seven churches in what we now know as Western Turkey. Ephesus is the first. And uh, we read the last from, uh, to the church at Laodicea. Uh, and when we read these letters, we begin to understand why achieving victory is such an important theme. We're going to ask some basic questions uh, about it this morning. And the first is simply this. Why is victory stressed in the book of Revelation? The answer is because each of these churches faces a different challenge. It's uh, uh, often a negative challenge, something that they really need to overcome because it's damaging them. But sometimes it's a positive challenge, something to be welcomed. So to the first church addressed, the church in Ephesus, there's a church that faces the challenge of spiritual hardness. If you read the letter, oh, they're doctrinally correct. If, like me, you've spent a, uh, much of your life in theological education, you have a nose that can sniff out heresy at a mile or two. <laughs> and Ephesus had plenty of people like that in their church. But there was a hardness of heart. They lacked love in their relationship with each other as well as in their relationship with God. The second letter was the letter to Smyrna. Uh, and they uh, have no criticism mounted against them by the Lord of the church. Uh, the challenge they face is spiritual opposition, slander, persecution, even death. They're right in the teeth of the opposition. Just down the road from where they meet, says John, is the synagogue of Satan. A key enemy gathering its forces together. The third letter is the church of Pergamum. And they face a different challenge. It's the challenge of spiritual heresy. They could do with a bit of the spirit of Ephesus, actually. They couldn't detect heresy if, they, if it stared them in the face. Uh, they put up with false teaching that had weird origins that are referred to as the teaching of Balaam or the teaching of the Nicolaitans. We haven't got time to unpack that this morning. You just need to know that this was a church that wasn't sure about what they really believed. The next church was the church of Thyatira that had similarities to the church of Pergamum. The challenge they faced was one of spiritual compromise. They put up with... Uh, uh, a, a person called Jezebel in their midst, who may have been a, a, a charismatic preacher, but was misleading them. She was given that name Jezebel because of an Old Testament figure called Jezebel, who was, uh, uh, again, an enemy of the people of God and led to false worship. And there in Thyatira, they weren't uh, as astute as they needed to be but rather compromised so much. In the church at Sardis, well, we don't know the history. Maybe they were getting old. Certainly they were getting frail. <laughs> they were dying. 
on the pathway to death without perhaps even realizing it, just gently fading away. There was a challenge that they faced. Philadelphia was an altogether different story. The challenge they faced was a positive one, not a negative one. God had opened a great door of opportunity for them, and they needed to have the courage to walk through it and exploit it. There's no criticism of that church. It's a positive challenge. And then the church of Laodicea. We know uh, many of these letters refer to local circumstances and the local context. And there, in Laodicea, the water supply came from a distance over an aqueduct. It began with very hot springs, but by the time it had reached the town of Laodicea, it was lukewarm. The point is that in the ancient world, uh, there was a lot of use for hot water and a lot of use for cold water. But actually, there was no use for lukewarm water, according to the literature. And they were unattractive in their nominalism. So each church faced different challenges. And we, as a 21st century church, face different challenges. The challenges we face are not the challenges they face in Ukraine today, or the challenges that they face in Somalia today. It's not the church face the challenges they face in Nigeria today, or Brazil. We know, as we've known for a long time, that as Christians we're being marginalized in this country, and unbelief is taking over, and that's the majority spiritual position of people in the nation. So the context in which we're seeking to live for Christ is a challenge of great indifference. And with that ethical compromise, and maybe the challenges we face in the churches is a lack of confidence in the gospel and a lack of confidence in the word of God. So we need to work out what are the challenges we face. And in that, how is God calling us to be victorious? You see, the point is each of these letters ends with the phrase, to the one who is victorious. Jesus not only addresses the churches by outlining the challenges, but calls them to overcome those challenges and to be Nike, to be victorious, to be conquerors in it. And what does he mean by that? Well, he's specific. He details what victory means. That's our second question. What does victory mean? What does it mean to be a Nike Christian? Does it mean that... uh, There in Ephesus, suddenly there's just an overwhelming uh, outbreak of emotion as they all love each other in the way that contemporary pop artists say they love their audiences. Oh, I feel the love. Is that the answer? (laughs) Or uh, does it mean to say in uh, some of those churches that had compromised with false doctrine, they started burning heretics? Uh, uh, what's the answer? Well, there are three 
things that are constantly repeated by way of explanation. What does it mean to be a victorious Christian? First of all, it means that they repent. That is, they look at the specific behavior that is causing offense to Jesus and turn around and distance themselves from it. Uh, all but the churches in Smyrna and Philadelphia, which are the churches that face positive challenges, are called to repent. They're heading in the wrong direction by their behavior. I'm sure you've had the annoying saying on your sat-nav in your car, as I have very often, when you go in the wrong direction. Turn around when possible. Turn around when possible. Uh, and don't get repentance put into some sort of spiritual cloud, uh, some mysterious thing. The call to repentance in these churches is simply a call to turn around when possible, and it's possible today, to address the things that are going wrong and put them right. But the greater emphasis is on the second two things. To be victorious not only means to repent and you don't repent once, but you lead a lifetime of repentance as a believer in Jesus. But the second thing is to be faithful, to be holding on. That's the remarkable thing about what victory is. Uh, it isn't a call to occupy new territory and be fantastic and obvious in the worldly terms of the progress you're making. Time and time and time and time again. It's associated in this book of Revelation with holding on. So the church at Thyatira, chapter 2, verse 25, hold on to what you have. To the church at Sardis, chapter 3, verse 3, what you have received and heard, hold it fast or keep it. Don't go off to some other false teaching, but stick as we were singing just now in that wonderful new song to the gospel. Philadelphia, chapter 3, verse 11, hold on to what you have. Elsewhere in the book of Revelation, chapter 12 and verse 17, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to the testimony about Jesus. Uh, or in chapter 19, verse 10, Christians are those who hold on to the teaching of Jesus. Listen. Look around. Ask yourself who in the last 12 months would have been here but haven't held on. They're not here now. Some of the challenges and the pressures they faced. Maybe they were the only one in their workplace who believed in the name of Jesus. They were such a minority, facing such a sea of indifference that they didn't hold on. Maybe they got more exciting, attractive teaching that wasn't quite orthodox Christianity, but elsewhere, and they've gone off into some weird side track. No, no, the challenge is to hold on. You'll face all sorts of challenges this year. Victory comes if in 12 months' time, your family may not like your Christian belief. Your work colleagues or fellow students may not like 
your Christian belief. They may like make life awkward for you. They may challenge you in all sorts of ways. You may not always be able to answer. But the challenge is that victory comes when you hold on. And a very similar thing, the third thing, is about endurance. Holding on, persevering. That's the word to the church in Ephesus. Uh, Jesus commends them. The, bat <laughs> the batteries obviously weren't holding on. <laughs> You're called to persevere. And, and maturity and growth uh, comes through perseverance, not giving up. The challenges that you face don't need to be negative challenges. They need to be opportunities for growth and persevering through it all. Victory is sometimes just persevering and just holding on. When you face personal challenges, bereavements, things that you can't explain in your life, suffering, still it's being faithful and persevering and holding on. I don't usually quote Elton John as the source of a text. <laughs> I possibly wouldn't if I knew more about that, but you remember the song, I'm Still Standing? And that's what victory is, as far as the New Testament is concerned. How is victory to be gained? Well, it tells us here. It's not something that we have to achieve. The reason we read from the letter to Laodicea is that when it talks about to the one who conquers at the end of the letter, it adds unusually this phrase. I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. It's the only place where those two are connected very closely. The lamb held on. The lamb gained the victory by persevering through the cross. The lamb conquered strangely through a strategy none of us would have expected or advised. That is of accepting defeat. <laughs> of embracing suffering, of submitting to execution and holding on and going through apparent defeat, he gained the victory. The victory, as Revelation tells us time and again, is by his blood. Those who are accused by Satan of being his followers are people, it tells us, who have conquered by the blood of the Lamb. You don't have to win the victory. It's been won for you by Jesus. You have to hold on and shelter behind it. You don't have to fight to gain it or to push forward, but rather keep trusting because the victory has already been won. Each one of these letters ends with a reward. The rewards are very often specific. What is the reward? Well, we could go through the details, but we haven't got time as to how Christ notes what's going on in each church. 
and will respond positively if they hold on and persevere and repent where necessary. But then later on in the book, towards the end in chapter 21 and verse 7, after describing the new heaven and the new earth that God is going to create, we read that the one who conquers the Nike believer will have their heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. If you persevere, the day will come when you enter in to the full inheritance of your salvation. Listen, there is a challenge here to each one of us as individuals about being victorious Christians. And don't get that out of proportion, thinking that it means that uh, you've got to get every sin conquered and every person you talk to converted uh, and every gift of the Spirit operated. No, victory for many will be simply perseverance in spite of stiff challenges and holding on. But actually what you should note about this is this isn't so much addressed to an individual as to churches. This is not so much about being an individual soldier who wins the Victoria Cross, so much as the regimental honours that God will one day want to issue to his churches. And there is a sense in which we as a church need to hold on. So many churches down the centuries haven't done so. They've... uh, betrayed their trust in Christ in a multitude of ways by denying the resurrection, by believing in false teaching, by uh, admitting all sorts of uh, immoral behavior and tolerating things, not facing the challenges that the early church or the 21st century faced. And churches are called to be victorious, not in the Nike sense of beating your competitor, This is not about whether grace will grow faster than vineyard down the road or cornerstone up the road this year. This is about whether grace is going to hold on and persevere and be faithful no matter what the challenge. And when you do, when you refuse to compromise, when you hold fast to the gospel, well, you may not always get the reward here on earth but you will one day receive that inheritance and God will even more visibly than now be your God and you will be his children hold on this year here in grace amen